up, people? Welcome back to the podcast. You are on Fan the Flame podcast. I am your host, Scott Tilly. We are going to be diving into some Q&A tonight. I asked the question. You guys um, asked some questions back. And so we're going to dive into those answers tonight. I posed a question on Facebook about a week back, maybe. Uh, about, yeah, I think it was about a week ago. Um, and any questions anyone might have, and I told them I was going to come back at them from a biblical perspective. So that's what we're doing tonight. I have notes on my phone. I have notes. I have notes in the Bible that's open. I have the questions right here, and we're going to tackle these together. And I, you know, I don't know if this episode's going to cover every one of these. I got four pages, guys. So thank you guys for those of you who reached out either on Facebook, on Messenger, or in Messenger, in email, maybe a text message. And you've had questions. And so we're going to tackle those tonight. We're going to do them together. It's going to be fun. Um, I hope that, that you guys are strapped in and ready to go because I'm excited about this. This is something that I really like to do. I love to sit in dialogue with people. I wish I had somebody here with me tonight. It's just me. I apologize. Womp, womp, womp. No guest. But um, always, as always, the guest of the uh, Holy Spirit, he's always a guest here. He's always, um, he's, he's the owner of this temple. So he's always welcome in this place. And so um, I'm excited tonight to, to run into some of these questions with you guys. And, and I'm going to try to keep it fun. And I'm going to try to keep it. I'm going to try to keep it quick with answers. But you know how I am, those of you that know me. So we'll see what happens. So let's pray and then we'll get rolling. Jesus, we give you praise tonight. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for prioritizing your love for us, God, and what you've given us in Christ Jesus. You've given us such a refuge and a hope in a future and all the tangible things and all the unseen things that we have to look forward to. Uh, I'm just thankful tonight, God. I'm thankful for a generation of people that are actually hungry, despite what the world would say, that there are Christians who are hungry for hungry and thirsty for righteousness, God. And we get that through your word. We get that through your presence. We get that through your perfection. And so tonight, God, just cloud us with your goodness and allow us to see you uh, deeper tonight, maybe feel you deeper tonight, maybe just be in a place of complete refuge in you tonight and, and allowing us to, to come to a place where we, we just, we need you, God, we have to have you. And so I'm thankful for these questions on this page. May you anoint the words that would come out of my mouth so that these people can get the answers that they've been looking for in Jesus name. Amen. Let's dive in. Let's dive in. Okay. The first question tonight, ready? It comes from Stephen. He says, does God punish our children for our sins? And I'm going to try to keep these like yes and no's and then why. Okay, so Stephen, the answer is no. Okay, God's heart isn't about punishing people. This verse, uh, and, and I'm going to read it in a minute. There's a verse that states about these uh, blessings, okay, from thousands of generations. And, uh, and I want you to know that, that God doesn't punish our children for our sins, okay? God does not punish a new generation for a former generation's sin. But I say this, God does hold us accountable as his children and our children who do not learn from their parents' mistakes. They will be held accountable. So that message where my parents was an addict, so I'm an addict, doesn't work with God, okay? Every single one of us is going to be accountable for the life that we live. Now, whoops, just punched my mic. Now, God does not place somebody else's sin on another generation's back, okay? 
that that would that would almost defeat the purpose of Christ going to the cross. He covers a multitude of sins. He covered every sin, okay? Past, present, and future. So when people come to the knowledge of Christ Jesus, that sin is completely eradicated. Their sin and the sins that they will commit later and the sins that they have already committed, they're covered under the blood of Jesus, okay? You you come to a place of complete refuge in him and and noting that my life is not my own, it belongs to him. So my sin is covered. There was a transaction that took place. There was a bill I could not pay. There was a debt that I owed, and Jesus paid it all. So in that, God's not going to place my sins on my son's back or my daughter's back or their kid's back, okay? And this verse I want to read to you, and then we'll run to the— because we're going to go from the Old Testament on this question to the New Testament because there's going to be a lot of people who are like, I don't believe with that, Scott. Hit me up in the email, send, uh, send a text, whatever you need to do. Okay, 34 of Exodus, okay, starting in verse 6. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Okay, that's, that's not just for that moment in time in Exodus. It says forgiving thousands. It's prophesying to the future. Okay, so the blessing is always bigger than the curse. I know people like to focus a lot on curses. What about the blessings of God? Okay, curses are what we obtain on our own by transgression or by sin, but the blood of Christ sufficed. It's enough. It takes care of the sin in our lives. Okay, now I want to read another uh, scripture to you just to back up what we were talking about there in Exodus. Jesus, in, in John chapter 9, there's a very peculiar story about a blind man that Jesus heals. Okay, and this is what happens. It says, see if I can read it here. As he passed by, he saw a blind man from birth and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned that this man, uh, this man or his parents that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was neither that his mom sinned or his dad sinned or he sinned. It was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Okay, so they're like, well, this must be somebody else's fault that this man was born blind. And we'll do that in life. We'll see somebody be like, yep, their parents were messed up, so they're going to be messed up, right? No, that's not the case. Jesus is saying, like, look, it wasn't nobody's sin that did this. This man was actually born blind. So this moment right now before you could be seen and told to millions, billions, that's why he was born blind. It wasn't that his mom messed up and did something terrible and so God blinded her son at or or dad did something sacrilegious and that's why he's blinded and no he's saying this happens so that the works of god may be seen and manifested on earth okay um again there is accountability like we can't we cannot say i'm this way because my parents you know were this way so it's just my destiny that's not that's not how that works God has a better destiny for you. He has a truthful destiny for you that's going to bring you from darkness to light. And we have to come to the conclusion that his will and his way and his want is greater and bigger than any curse or sin that has ever tried to step foot on this earth, okay? The blood of Jesus is bigger than any sin. Amen? Okay. All right. Next question is from Howdy, okay? Howdy says this, is the church given command to judge its members wow you know this this is a great question because a lot of people will go by feelings instead of facts on this short answer howdy yes absolutely 
the church is called to judge its members. It's called to judge with a righteous judgment, right? Let's look at First Corinthians real quick. Uh, let me see my Bible real quick. Yeah, so so absolutely that the church is called to judge, man. Um, but not the world. We have no authority to judge the world. That's not our job. Inside the church, inside the four walls, God has um, an order to things, and and uh, we have to abide by that order. And it clearly states in First Corinthians chapter five that this judgment must be done in the name of Jesus, okay, not by our own personal agenda. So a lot of people will be on the you know a beckoning side of that that would be like, yeah, see, I had the right to judge you, but they have their own personal agenda behind it. That's, you know, pastors that have fallen or elders or deacons or whoever that they're living in sin. And then they say, you have to listen to us, but whole while they're, you know, wallowing in sin, but you know, they, they use that right to judge to cover uh, their own tracks, so to speak. And so um, I want you to, I want to read this to you from first Corinthians chapter five. And this is, this is talking about sexual immorality, how it defiles the church, okay, specifically. And it says, it's actually report, reported that there is sexual, sexual immorality among you and, uh, and of a kind that is not tolerated even among the pagans. For this man has his father's wife, and you're arrogant. Ought, uh, excuse me, ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though I am absent in body, I am present in spirit as if present. I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such thing. Okay. He's already pronounced judgment from what he's heard about this man doing what he did. And so he's saying, get rid of this member, you know, and that may be super hard to hear, but you know, God is about purity. He's about cleanliness. He's about righteousness. He's, and, and I'm assuming they follow protocol and they bring him before, you know, one and, and that didn't work. So they went before a couple that didn't work. So they went before council you know, at this point, it's, it's, I'm sorry, it is what it is. I can't veer from the word just because my feelings get in the way. Come on, somebody. And so, yes, we are absolutely called to judge. Okay. But verse four, look at this. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with you, the power of our Lord Jesus. Okay. This is where it's crucial. You can't go assemble into a gossip club and talk about that person till they leave. That's not biblical protocol. Biblical protocol is to assemble in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? Then you are to deliver this man over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, but why? It's not just gore and, and bad news and, man, we hate this guy. There's a reason to deliver him over to Satan so that his flesh may be destroyed so that what's left in his spirit, come on, what's left in his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord, okay? It's that's some tough language, but it's not really because it's the word of God. We can't let feelings get in the way of facts. OK, so, yes, we are called to judge members in the church, but. It's of the right counsel and it's of the right motive. It's to restore somebody, not to completely get rid of them, that they will never step foot in the church again. That's happened and that's terrible. This is so that they may be restored in the Lord, so that they may be brought back into the ecclesia, the gather of the saints together in unity, in one body, one mind, one spirit. Okay. And so what he's saying is judge this man and this woman, whoever, righteously in what? In the spirit of the Lord Jesus, with the power of the Lord Jesus, where Jesus is present. 
Jesus, let me just let me explain to you. If you try to if you try to um, create a committee that's just trying to spit on somebody and 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 call out all their shortcomings and so that they might leave, that's not the right way to do it. it the Lord's not present in those meetings. Okay, uh, he he wants to make sure that he is allowed to be the forerunner of those meetings so that that person ultimately can be restored. Look, so that deliver him over to the destruction of, of, of Satan, to the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved. Okay, just because you're walking in the flesh one day, just because you mess up one day doesn't mean that your spirit checked out for life. Your spirit's still very much alive, calling you back into repentance. Like, you're, you're wandering, get back over here. You're sinning, get back over here. This is not where you belong. You belong with me. And so that what he's saying is, man, I give him up, give him up to his flesh. Maybe, hopefully, hopefully the goal here is that he will be so much guilt-ridden that he'll turn back, just like the prodigal son, right? He was, the dad gave him over. He gave him over to his flesh. He let him go do whatever he wanted to do, right? And guess what? The prodigal son came home. So guess what? Church members can come home, but we have to give them the opportunity to do that, okay? We have to give them the opportunity to come back and not shun them when they grace the door with our, with their presence again, okay? So, John 7, 24, what is John 7, 24? I mean, we got we to gotta kind of go through a few different verses with this one because this one is, it's, it's not tricky. It's in the Bible, but I think that sometimes our feelings try to, again, override facts. And that's just not how it is, man. We, we got to go by the Bible and we got to go by Bible protocol. And not every one of us has gotten that right. A lot of us have missed it, okay? But we have to try. We have to look at the word, see what it says for itself. And you know, we don't judge by appearance, but, but by the right judgment, okay? This is obviously talking about um, um, Jesus being at the Feast of Booths, okay? Um, he's, 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 he's saying his time has not yet come, and then and it kind of goes on a little bit further down, and then he starts to talk about um, something happens here peculiar, though, in this one. The story is uh, when Jesus went up to the middle, in the middle of the feast, he went up to the temple and started preaching and the jews marveled saying how is this man learning and how has he ever studied and they're like trying to figure out who he is well you know jesus is saying my teaching is not mine well <laughs> there it was right kind of the beginning of the end and if it's anyone's uh he says if it's any anyone's will is to do god's will he will know whether the teaching is from god or whether i'm speaking on my own authority okay uh, obviously the the pharisees sadducees they want to like argue with him and anyway at the end of this jesus is saying um basically if on the sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of moses might not be broken are you angry with me because on the sabbath i made this man well so he's talking about healing on the sabbath and he says don't judge by appearances but judge with right judgment so when we judge as church members okay we have to judge with right judgment again as i said earlier as we were talking about earlier, you can't have your own agenda in the way of judgment. Okay. You have to let your, put your agenda aside. Even if you want to crucify this person at the stake for what they did, we have to put our own judgment aside and say, okay, Lord, what do you say about this? Okay. Pretty simple. If you read it and, and understand it um, and only understanding it by the power of the Holy spirit, but just, you know, not just a history lesson. So, and then, and a lot of people like to run to, to Matthew and say, well, you know, this is what, this is the verse that I like to, that I don't like to hear. I hear it a lot. And funny enough, it comes out of the mouths of a lot of people that don't believe in Jesus. <laughs> They'll say, 
judge less ye not be judge you know and i'll be like do you even know what that means i don't think that means what you think it means you know and so um this is this is stating um everything that we talked about like you have to have your 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 body in check your soul in check before you go and check somebody else this is the word says pull the plank out of your own eye before you try to you know grab that splinter in your brother's eye make sure that you are in check before you go talk to them about their sin okay and that's just saying you know look at the word of god is my line lining up is my life lining up with what the word of god says before i go call this brother out in his sin and, and that's another thing that i would like to say and this is just this one might be a little bit longer which is why we may not get everyone on this podcast which is fine but what I want to say with this is a lot of people want to scream from the mountaintops of social media or wherever that this person sinned, this person messed up, this person hurt me, but they're unwilling to take that pain and that passion that they're feeling while they're typing to that person, particularly in a small setting or by themselves and say, look, man, what you really, what you did really hurt me. Or they'll vague book it. They'll, they'll, they'll post something that's like, you know, pointing to this person, but it's not really calling that person out specifically, but it is pointed toward that person. Then, you know, we, 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 we do that for likes and wants and pats on the back and it's going to be okay. And everything's going to be all right. Instead of actually having a conversation with somebody, I don't know where we've dropped the ball on this, but we have to have conversations with people because look, the ultimate goal here in judgment is to see people restored. Why was the chastisement of God's judgment placed on Jesus? It was to see people restored. This man took on sin that he never committed so that God could restore his people in his church and those that would come to the knowledge and the truth of Christ Jesus. So again, motive is, is everything with judgment. If I'm casting judgment on somebody because I'm having a bad day and their sin is just a little worse than mine, I'm doing air quotes, by the way, because every sin's the same besides for, obviously, um, sexual sin is sin against the body. But Look, the deal is we are called to judge with the righteous judgment. So you make you got to make sure you're counseled in the right way before you approach these things at all anyway. So back to 1 Corinthians 5, 5, just for a minute, um, because I think this this needs to be noted again before we move on with this one. So and again, if you guys don't agree with me at all on these, shoot me a letter, man, or call me or whatever we need to do to to come to terms around Christ being the cornerstone. Okay. There's a lot of variables and non, or there's a lot of negotiables and non-negotiables in the Bible, but I think that we can talk about all of them. Um, so yeah, if you don't believe me, if you want to shoot me down on what I've answered, man, hit me up. I got no problem talking to you about it. Let's meet for coffee and get it, get it taken care of. My goodness. Where is this verse I'm looking for? Okay. First Corinthians five, five. Let's look at this. Okay, just back to this for a moment, because I want to end with this, that the whole reason that this verse is here is that this person might be saved. Okay, look, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Look, we have to destroy the flesh every single day. That's why we, we are called to walk according to the spirit, not the flesh. We're supposed to crucify this flesh every single day. Okay. We do that by prayer. We do that by reading of scripture. We do that by supplication to the, to the Lord. We do that by spending time with him. We do that by practicing the gifts that he's given us, okay? Because if we're moving in the gifts of the spirit, guess what we're not moving in? The gifts of, of the demonic realm, okay? We're moving in the gifts of the spirit of God. And so the whole point behind giving this man over to his flesh is to see him restored, okay? Got it? 
get it good. Okay, the goal is that we would be saved, that this person would be saved, and that we're absolutely called, yes, howdy, to judge against immorality in the church. 100%. Quickly, though, is the one thing I want to say. This needs to be done with quickly. We don't let this draw out so that it becomes a bigger issue down the road. Okay, so that it does not spread, right? A little leaven does what? It leavens the whole lump. So we got to take care of it quickly. We got to take it to the Lord abruptly and quickly so that it does not spill out and and get on the rest of the sheep, the sheep of the fold. So, okay, great question, man. I'm glad that that one was, that was a great one. And, and they're all great, but I, I really wanted to hit on that one. Okay. This one comes from Robin. This says, um, Sister Robin says, what are things that have helped you and Cass in your marriage? Those of you listening for the first time, my wife is the lovely, the amazing, the beautiful, the anointed, the gifted, the, the, the mom of my, my babies, Cassie Tilly. I call her Cass. And so everybody that knows me knows that my wife's name is Cass to me. And anyway, Rob wants to know what has helped us in our marriage. And in short, I'll say this for me personally, and I'm not going to speak for her because I think that I'm going to give her time at some point to speak for herself. But because um, I want I'm trying to get her on here and I need your guys help with that. So if you see her, you got to be like, hey, man, when are you going to be on the podcast with Scott? We've been waiting on you. We're tired of hearing him. You preach better than he does. We need to hear from you. <laughs> Whatever. But uh, so what has helped me personally in growing a relationship with her? And in short, it's this denying myself because I am a selfish man. Sometimes I, I'm I'm beyond honest when I say that, like I am super selfish. Sometimes I I don't take an accountability things in her corner that she's dealing with. Um, I often put my other needs above hers. And so I that for me, more than anything, has helped us tremendously is is um, going back to Ephesians five. Ephesians 5 and looking at what it looks like to be a godly husband because you know it's funny how God works excuse me when when you're you know when you're kind of getting your strain a little bit he'll he'll place scriptures in your heart and remind you like hey is your life looking like this right now is this what we're doing so and and I want you to look at this this is just walking in love okay is what it is and the very first verse of Ephesians 5 says therefore be imitators of God Okay, so denying myself looks like discarding what I would have or what I would propose in my own feeble little mind. And I would say, you know what? I need to imitate God as as his being my father. I need to imitate my dad. I need to be like my dad and walk in love is the very second verse as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Okay, that is where it should start with us. And then you know, we can look down, we can look over at 22, which is where this husband and wife thing starts. But I don't think that God did that by chance to place that starting in Ephesians to be the first and second verse. And then 20 verse 22 down under all of that love and submitting to one another is husbands and wives submit or excuse me, wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. We start there. Okay. And again, I'm not going to speak on Cass's behalf. She can do that later. But as for me, verse 25, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I think it's easy to say I love her, easy to tell her at night before we go to bed, I love you, easy even, you know, sometimes to like pray with her before we go to sleep. But I think it's harder 
to to uh, showcase that love. You know, I can say a lot of beautiful things, but if my actions don't prove what I'm saying, it makes me a noisy gong and nobody wants to hear a noisy gong. Right. So I, I think showcasing that love is crucial and it's not it's not showering her with a bunch of lavish trips and flowers and candy and necklaces. And if you know, if you're doing that, you know, awesome. But for us, her love language, like me answering this question for Robin, what's helped is learning her love language, learning what makes her tick, learning how she moves and motivates in love and, and what what encourages her and what does not encourage her. What do I need to, you know, remind her of and what do I need to never speak again toward her, you know, and taking note of those things, taking note of, of what is is causing pain and what's what's causing her to move in love. And so, um, you know, giving myself up, learning how to do that, because there's a million things that I have given myself up for for her. But there's a thousand things left to give up for her, you know, and I, I guess it's a journey in learning, because as you grow in each other, your love changes. That's why there's there's at least seven to nine different depictions of love in the Bible, you know, and, and we'll, maybe we'll go over those in an episode. But uh you know, you're at a different place in life with this person as your love is is still available, but it's a different type of love. You know, the honeymoon phase, and that's we can go into some of this stuff scripturally based, but I I I gotta find the notes that I have on, you know, Ergos love and agape love and uh what's that? Philia. There, there's so many different, you know, three seven to nine different types of love that that we're we're at in a different place in our relationship from A to B, whether you've been together 60 years or six years, you know, you're going to feel different. And and so that's, whoop, I think about knocks something over, but that's the goal is to get to the understanding that I have got to be willing to give myself up for her. That has been the biggest thing for me personally that has helped our marriage to note where I've missed it and I've not given myself up and to go ahead and do it. And, you know, it may not be fun in the moment, but it always is better on the back end. Okay. Okay. Uh, that one I probably should have expounded longer on, but you know, um, I want to do a podcast with my wife where we talk about some of these things. So I want to leave that dialogue open a little bit. Maybe this is the nudge to get her to do it. All right. Lorenzo does baptism constitute salvation. Great question, man. And you're going to have different thoughts on this from a million different people. But biblically, I think no, it does not constitute salvation. OK, baptism. And this is my own words. And then I'll get into the Bible. Baptism for me. This is what the Lord put on my heart years ago. Baptism is an outward expression of an inward confession. OK, and why? Well, biblically, why? Because Jesus got baptized. We should get baptized. It is a command, right? It's a command to go get bap go baptize, right? What uh, Matthew 28, go into all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, right? Like it's a great commission, baptizing people in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy So it's a command. So if you're not doing it, you're you're kind of disobeying being disobedient to the call. Okay, but if you don't get to it, like let's say, and I'll get back to the story that everybody knows in a minute, but you know, uh, th let's say you you get saved on Sunday, you go to church on Sunday, you get saved, pastor uh, calls a a call for repentance, you come up, you you hand your life over to Jesus, you say I'm yours, 
I repent. I'm choosing to deny myself, pick up my cross, and I'm going to follow you. In that moment, you've had an encounter with Christ. You were saved the next morning on your way to work. And you tell pastor, hey, in two weeks, my family's going to be out here. I want to get baptized. And then in two weeks, you know, two weeks doesn't come because the next morning you die in a car crash on the way to work. God forbid that happen. Does that you think God is a God that's going to be like, well, he didn't get baptized. Mark him off the list. No, that's not how God works. Or babies. What about babies that don't make it past three, two, three years old? They pass away. You know, they they weren't baptized. Does, is God going to send these? But no, he's not. He will receive them with open arms in heaven. They will be fine. And so, again, that said, if you are conscious enough to make that decision to follow Jesus, then you need to do the next step. And that is getting baptized. Guys, I've seen people get baptized the day that they have received salvation. That's how it was when the church started. On that day, 3,000 were added. They were all baptized. Like all these people in the old in the New Testament, in the book of Acts that are saved, you know, the, the eunuch, like they they are, they're literally they stop at the next puddle and they baptize the guy. And it is, it is, you know, you can go as deep as that as you want. I am a full submersion guy because as Pastor Michael talked about at church, I, I am online with this completely in 2000 2000%, like bap baptismo is the greek word it means to be submerged so we you know we have to understand that like yeah there is a way to baptize people let's just stick with the bible and stop making up our own you know our own ways and our own theology and make sure we're going by what the word says okay now also i will say this is how i know it does not constitute salvation okay um the thief on the cross as the question was begged by, I think it was Alistair Begg or somebody like, where does that fit into your theology? The guy never took a confirmation class. He, he never went up before the pastor and said, hey, I want to give Jesus. I want to give my heart to Jesus. He never prayed the sinner's prayer. He looked at Jesus and he said, hey, take me with you when you go to the other side. You know, I'm paraphrasing. And Jesus said, what? Like today you will be with me in paradise. Now, I want you to note something. There was a heart of repentance. So you can't throw that out. There, you know how I know there was a heart of repentance? Because when the two thieves are on the cross by Jesus and the one thief is making fun of Jesus, saying he's he's basically he's he's uh, he's in with the Romans at this point, And he's saying like, hey, yeah, yeah, you're really the son of God. Won't you get us and yourself off here? Obviously, I'm paraphrasing again. But what does the other thief say that makes it into paradise with him? He says, hey, shut your mouth. We deserve this punishment. He's done nothing. So there was a repentant heart right there. He knew who was in front of him. He knew that that the son of God was on that cross with him. Okay. And so there was an act of repentance. That's what got him into heaven. You don't get into heaven with that repentance. I'm sorry. It just doesn't happen. You do not get into heaven as, as a, as a, a coherent person without, I mean, obviously earlier we talked about children. They're in a different, they're a different category because they haven't had the age of account accountability yet. But if you have had the age of accountability and you have and you have not repented and you pass away, you're not going to heaven. That's just the way the word. That's what the Bible says. OK, I didn't write it. I just believe it. But if you have hallelujah, hallelujah, if you've repented that you get to be with Jesus for eternity. And that's what God wants. His covenant is a covenant of love. OK, he wants his people with him. That's why he created us. OK, so baptism again not constitute salvation no now if you get saved if you if you make a decision and you jump in the water 
then yeah, that's your day of salvation. It happens to be the same day you got baptized. Awesome. That's what we want. Okay. We want true repentance and people jumping in the water, going all in. Okay. So you you can read the thief on the cross. You you can look at some of these. Uh, you know you can look at some of these stories from Luke twenty three, Matthew twenty seven. Matter of fact, let's just go there while we're on the topic. Come on now, somebody. Matthew chapter twenty seven. Where are we at? Thirty eight. Twenty seven. Thirty eight. Twenty seven. Thirty eight. Here we go. All right. Then. Two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And one who passed by derated him, waging, uh, wagging their heads, saying, you know, who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days? Save yourself. If you're really the son of God, come down off the cross. So also the thief, excuse me, the chief priest with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying he saved others, but he can't save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down from that cross. We will believe in him. He trusts he trust in God. Let God deliver him now. If he desires, for he said, I am the son of God, and the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled in the same way. Okay, six hour came, Jesus cries out, and we know that he takes the sponge. Okay, but before this, we see uh, we see the mocking of Jesus. We see all these things happening, but oh, I think it actually is, is in Luke. I'm sorry. I think I need to go to Luke. Let me run to Luke real quick, and we'll check it. We'll check this out. Yeah, uh, Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23, 39, I think. I believe it's 39. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them for not what they do. That's 34. And the people stood by watching, but the rules scoffed. Okay, the soldiers scoffed. There was also an inscription over him. Okay. One of the criminals, yeah, 39, verse 39, one of the criminals who were hanging railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and save us. But the other rebuked the man, saying, Do you not fear God since you are under the same sin? Oh, sorry. He rebukes him, saying, Do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we justly for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And then he looks at Jesus. He said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. That story elates my soul. Here's a man who we don't know anything about his history. We just know that he's hanging beside Jesus on the cross. The one criminal's mocking Jesus, and he stands up and says, hey, be quiet. We deserve this punishment. He hasn't done anything. And then there's this intimate moment when he looks, I believe he looks over eye to eye with Jesus and says, hey, will you please remember me when you come to your kingdom? So he, there's an act of repentance looking at the other guy saying, we deserve this. We messed up. This man's done nothing. And that's the way that we have to look at Jesus on our day of repentance, okay? Every day. I deserve this. You did nothing. And so thank you for doing everything so that I could have a relationship with you. Salvation, look at this, okay? Salvation is a surrendered heart to Jesus. Repent and believe, right? So baptism is a command. So if you're saved, I would, I would beg to question, though, if you are saved and you're not baptized, why not? What are you waiting on? Are you waiting for the right moment? There isn't one. It's right now. I've baptized people in my bathtub here at my house, guys. I'll baptize somebody in a snowbank if there's enough water to submerge them. 
I don't care. I'll baptize somebody in, in the moat that's running around my house right now. If their heart is truly in a place of repentance and they've received Christ as king, I have no problem doing that. Okay? We must follow what Jesus tells us to do. Okay? Repent and believe, and then let's go ahead and get baptized. Amen? All right. So, so what is baptism again? Okay? In, in Scott Tilly terms, it's a public expression of an inward confession okay write that down and underline it twice <laughs> okay richard says do we have to pay a penance for our sins great question bro great question do we have to pay a penance for our sins and i would beg the question what do you mean by penance now i, I think i know what you mean and i'm going to go ahead and answer this um so do we have to pay for our sins, basically, is what Richard is asking. And the answer is no. In Christ Jesus, we don't pay for our sins. He paid for it. Every bit of wrath was poured out into Christ Jesus on the cross at Calvary's Hill. Okay? For the elect, for the believers. Okay? For the believers. Now, if you do not receive Christ as Savior, okay? then we know that yes. So it's a two-part question. It's a two-part question. For the believer, do we have to pay for our sins? No. For the unbeliever, do we have to pay for our sins? Yes. Why? Because from Romans, we know that the wages of sin is death, right? What's Romans 6.23 say? Come on, somebody. The wages of sin is death, right? But what? Because this, this really... This really wraps up everything in in this in this verse with this question that he um, that he that he asked six twenty three did I say three twenty three it's Romans six twenty three so yeah th this kind of wraps up exactly what he's asking in one verse okay do we have to pay for our sins for the believer no but for the but for the um, non believer yes. And the question is staged to where the, this, this answer actually answers it backwards. It says, for the wages of sin is death. Let's just talk about that for a moment. So there is a price to pay for debt or for sin, right? It's death. The wages of sin, the price to pay for sin is absolutely, ultimately death, spiritual, physical, right? But it says, you can't stop there because it says, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Bada bing, bada boom. You as a believer through Christ Jesus have received eternal life. Okay. As a non-believer, you already stand condemned and you actually condemn yourself. If you, if you've chosen in your heart to say there is no God, you are a fool, first of all, and you've chosen to condemn yourself. You stand condemned right now as we speak. If you haven't chosen Christ as your savior, that's what the word says. Okay. That's what the word says. I didn't write it. Okay. The wages of sin is death. So, so what happens is somebody had to pay a price for that debt that was owed, right? There is a, there, there's wage, the wages of sin is death. So there had to be somebody, somebody perfect to pay the wages for that sin. There was, there was a debt owed that we could not pay as human beings in our own way or in anybody else's way. We couldn't pay them. So somebody had to pay them. That somebody is Christ Jesus, our Lord, our Savior. And so through his work, finished, by the way, on the cross, we have right standing with the Father. We are the righteousness of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. So 
Do we have to pay for our sins? As believers, absolutely, unequivocally, no. Jesus paid it. As non-believers, yes, unequivocally, absolutely, yes, you will pay. You will pay. You'll pay with your life. You'll pay with your spiritual life. Okay? So the best thing to do in that is just to give your life to Jesus. That way you can say the debt has been paid. Uh, I don't know anything. God has already paid it. So again, do we have to pay? Now, there are often, there's consequences. That's the word. There, there are consequences for sin. Absolutely. Like you're going to have to pay consequences for, for messing up. I, I can't drive down the street at 160 mile an hour and and pass a cop and expect not to get a ticket okay i sinned i broke the law i have to pay the ticket right you know unless that man's just super full of grace that day he's like you know what it's okay i doubt it if i'm going 160 i'm probably getting a ticket okay if i you know cheat on my taxes I cheat on my taxes. I sin by cheating on my taxes. Guess what? If they catch me, I'm going to pay a penalty for that sin. So there are consequences to sin, whether you're a believer or a non-believer, right? But the ultimate goal is to know Christ and make Christ known. And so knowing Christ, knowing that what he did on, on Calvary's Hill was good enough for me, that gives me right standing with him. So I don't have to pay. Thank you, Jesus. I don't have to pay the penalty for my sin. No. Great questions, man. Great questions. I like it. I think we might have time for one more tonight, and then we're going to uh, we're going to. I think we're going to break this up. I think that's what we want to do. Okay. So next question is from Christy. She says, "What does the Bible say about submission?" In one word, a lot. Hundred and one. Uh, well, let's just say this. Not 101 times, but at least 66 um, instructions from Genesis to 1 Peter 5, us to Christ, picking up our cross, just being one. I mean, that looks like submission to me. The first, the first thing we learn, should learn how to do as believers is submit. That's the very first thing. Jesus said, what? If one wants to come after me, he must first, what? Deny himself. That looks like submission to me. Like, yeah, your way is better. My way is terrible. My way it actually sucks. Yours is the only way. And so I'm submitting my life to you. I am submitting everything I am, everything I will be, everything I was to you right now. And I, I am in full submission, whatever you want me to do. Okay. So that's just one instance um, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, right? This is, I think that's where Jesus talks about this. 1624. Let's just run there for a moment. Thank you for the Bible app. Yeah, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone wants to come after me, let him first deny himself, then take up his cross, and then he can follow. So for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So submission is absolutely uh, crucial for the Christian walk. We cannot say that he is Lord over our life if we're not willing to submit to him, submit our finances to him, submit our life to him, submit our children to him, submit our uh our uh, our cars, our vehicles, our possessions, all these things. Like we have to submit everything to the Lord because guess what? They're already his. They were his before they were ours. That's one thing I say about my children, that they are God's before they are mine. He knows better than me on how to raise them. And I'm just asking him to institute heavenly principles so that I can raise them in, in, in godly standards. And so, yeah, submission is huge. As a wife, 
We just read in, in Ephesians 5, wives submit to your husbands. Okay. Huge. Because look, if this man is leading godly like he's supposed to be, then you should have no trouble as a wife submitting to him. If he's leading you as a godly man, if he's and if you're not following him as a godly man, you have chosen to not submit anyway. So yeah, there, there's absolute submission everywhere in the Bible. Um, the elders are submitting to Jesus right now. The angels submit to Jesus. Like from again from Genesis to First Peter five, there's a lot of there's a lot of talk on submission, and I think as a church, I'm just gonna go here. That's something that we need to be better at as well. Submission, submitting to, you know, the authority that's 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 been placed to pastor the flock. Now, I'm not saying that if he's doing or she's doing wrong, that we should just, you know, go about our day like everything's hunky-dory. But submission to people, I mean, you submit to your boss every day. So why wouldn't you submit to your pastor? I guess that's something that we probably need to have a whole talk on that might go a little longer than <laughs> than, a, than an hour or two. But yeah, submission is absolutely huge. And, and, and submission shows that you value relationship. Um, I submitted to my wife in a, you know, the day that I chose her in marriage that she would be it for me, you know, husbands and wives, like submitting to each other is, is, is practical for a good, for a good marriage. You know, if, if we don't want to submit, then guess what? Our marriage probably isn't going to be that great. Right. Uh, so there's something to be said about Ephesians five and submitting. I want to hit on, um, with that. And and I guess I should have I guess I should have asked you to expound on, you know, what area of submission that you you kind of were talking about. But you know that that's in a nutshell. That's what I'm seeing for for submission in, in scripture. And so you know to end that, let's look at five uh, twenty one of Ephesians, where it says this: um, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is talking about the body. This is talking about walking in love with with brothers and sisters in the faith, you know, um, and, and look carefully how we walk, you know, and to not be foolish and understand the will of God and what the will of God is, you know, right above that, right above giving thanks for everything to God in the, in the name of our father and Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying, be careful how you walk, walk wise, you know, making the best in the use of your time, because these days are evil. Don't be foolish. Understand what the will of God is and right uh, under that, in 21, I mean, we're skipping from 17, but he says, submit to one another out of reverence of Christ. If I have a brother come to me and he sees something in me I'm not seeing in myself and he calls me out in it, I have to submit to him as a brother and saying, you know what? You're right, man. I'm walking in sin right now and I appreciate you calling me out on that. That's looking very much like submission to me when you put the will of other, not the will, but the need of others above your own. So great questions. Great questions, guys. We got done with the first page tonight. And I think I'm going to I think I'm going to tap out there because uh, I don't know how how far along we are in this recording. But um, I would like to I would like to just keep going on these tonight. But it's it's you know, it's 9 p.m. And I got to kiss my kids and hug my wife and and all that fun stuff. So, yeah, we got done. Actually, we got done with two pages. Yeah, we got done with two pages. That's not terrible. So, guys, keep submitting them, too. I mean, we don't have to stop with these. Whatever we got coming up, I'll try to put it in somewhere in the podcast. 
But again, uh, I would ask that you share these guys. Like them, share them. Go on to social uh, social media. Follow me on social media. Um, I'm always posting links to the podcast. You know, go on YouTube, subscribe, share it with your friends. Uh, yeah, that's what we need to do so we can get this word out. So I'm thankful for you all. I love you. Uh, appreciate you guys. Be blessed in Jesus' name.